0: Personally, really, 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 really respect and um, appreciate Martin Luther King Jr. And also I think uh, you know the fact that we have a day where we can really think about all that he um, stood for is really important for us, I think. Um, one of my favorite quotes, though, is this one from him where he said, freedom only comes through persistent revolt, through persistent agitation, through persistently rising up against the system of evil. And it reminds me of how jesus said that the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force and sometimes we have to well not sometimes um, there are um there are principalities and powers that are trying to wage war against us and you know part of our i think calling in the church is to stand against um, those kingdoms of darkness and to be prophetic voices and to really Talk about justice and talk about truth and talk about all these different things that are part of following Jesus. Amen. So hopefully tomorrow you have a chance to kind of just think about about that. And I love that you know during the civil rights movement there were many many Christians who were at the forefront of that, marching and and persistently calling for uh, there to be change in society. And I think we should still do it. Um, but I, I think. MLK, Martin Luther King Jr. was super prophetic, very prophetic in his time. And I've been thinking a lot about what it means to be prophetic, you know, like, have you heard that phrase, like, oh, it was so prophetic, you know, like, you have an interaction with somebody, and and, uh, you walk away feeling like, oh, that was very prophetic. Any of you have encounters like that, where it was like, that was kind of weird? No, none of you have weird encounters? Yeah, some of you are weird, that's why rest of us are like, that was weird. But um, I want to have more of those, and I want to. I think I want to be a prophetic person, and, and I want to talk about that a little bit today, because I think that I've had um, some encounters over the years with people who are very prophetic. Uh, my whole way of getting into ministry, like, you know, I was just telling somebody this story the other day, because they were like, how did you become a pastor? And I was like, uh, that's a great question. I don't know. <laughs> it's like, how did that happen? And I was kind of reflecting on on this season of life. And I think Don and I had been married for maybe three years, four years. And we were just, you know, really, really wanting to grow. And we're going to church all the time. And I was studying theology. Uh, I think at the time I was in grad school and starting to read all this theology and was loving it. And we just started helping out at this church. And we met this guy. This guy was... Um, You know, from the East Coast and, you know, the East Coast vibe is different than the West Coast vibe, right? And I was like, the first time I ever met him, I was like, I don't like this guy. This guy's a jerk because he was just so like, you know, just matter of fact and just brutally honest and would just say it. And I remember the first time I ever met him, we were at this prayer meeting. And Don and I had been kind of going to the different different churches and we met him at this prayer meeting and I remember he was like, I want prayer. I'm, I'm a new pastor in this, or I'm, a, I'm at this new church I'm pastoring at and I really could use some help. And so we started praying and then he just said, all right, everybody be quiet. I was like, who's this guy? To, he just asked us for prayer. Now he wants us to be quiet? Like, what's up with that? And he's like, all right, let the prophets speak. And I was like, I don't know if there's any prophets in here, but that's, do you remember this? It's like the weirdest moment. I was like, okay, this guy's weird. And just every time I'd meet with him, it'd be weird, but I also, every time I met with him, I walked away feeling like something had been something had been about that meeting, like God was on it. And so meanwhile, Don and I are, were like going to this other church and we're helping out and we kept starting small groups and our small groups would go like this. We would have our first meeting and we'd have like 12 people show up. And then our second meeting would have like 35 people show up and then our fourth Fifth, we would have, you know, within like six weeks, we'd have like 120 people. And I mean, it was insane. We were meeting at parks and, you know, and they were all calling us pastor. And we were like, we are not your pastors. You know, we just go like to barbecue with you guys, really. And, uh, and we, we did like three small groups like that. And we were starting to wrestle with like, what does that mean? You know, that we keep gathering all these people. And so I, I met with this friend. His name is Jim. And um, so this prophet dude, you know, we met over uh, coffee one day, and I was just complaining to him. I was like, yeah, Jim, you know, we just keep starting all these groups and all these dumb people calling us their pastor, and it's so annoying. And, man, I just need to figure out what I'm supposed to do with my life. And, you know, I was 23, 24, and I'm just going on and on. I'm just rabbit-trailing. And finally he's like, Luke, wake up. I'm like, what? He said, this is, this is the prophetic moment. When I knew something was happening in my life, he said, Luke, if it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it's a duck. And I was like, that's the dumbest thing i ever heard. And I went outside, and I sat down in my car, and all of a sudden, I realized what he was saying, and I started crying for like 40 minutes. I was like, oh, anything but that, Lord, please. But I knew like in that moment, there was this prophetic encounter where I knew that God was calling us into ministry. And, you know, like it took me another year and a half to really figure out what that was. But we started going to that guy's church and helping out. And I just, I would spend time with him and, and Jim would, would walk into a grocery store. And this is in the Midwest. This is in a small town in Wisconsin, 1,200 people. Everybody's, everybody's really friendly. You ever heard of Minnesota Nice? Okay, it's a thing where everybody's really friendly even though they don't really care about you at all. It's like, oh, how are you doing? Yeah, sure, don't you know, you betcha. And then out, and you're like, what just happened? I have no idea what just happened. Very, very friendly people, though. But he would come in, and he came in with this East Coast attitude and was just ruffling feathers and was rude to people. Sorry, Jimmy, if you're watching this. Rude to people. And then he would, like, walk up to somebody and be like, hey, I feel like the Lord just told me this about your life. And they would be weeping, and he'd pray for them. And, I mean, that happened all the time. And I just would be like, this guy's so weird but there was something about him that also was about Jesus. And I kept like seeing that everywhere we go. And and so he modeled for me over and over this this thing though where he was super attentive to what God was doing all the time. He was always modeling this this attitude and this this, like vibe where he was just being super attentive to what God was doing. And because of that, he he would be able to just kind of minister to people even though he was from the East Coast, he would share things and people would walk away feeling like, like they, had, they had met with God. And it's interesting because in the Old Testament um, there's this prophet named Joel and he says um, in Joel chapter 2, he says and it shall come to pass in the last days, it will come to pass afterwards that the Holy Spirit will, will be on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your, your people all people, not just you know, like the spiritual elites, but like everybody, could have access to the presence and power of God through the Holy Spirit. And, and so the Bible like foretells about this time when God's presence and power would fill people from all over the world, no matter their ethnicity, no matter their social standing, no matter their religious background. And and so I've been thinking about this a lot along this idea of being prophetic. Like I think, I think a goal for us as individuals and as a church is that we should desire to be prophetic like Jesus was, right? Like we should be prophetic. And we talked about this last year. At the end of the year, we were in a spiritual gifts sermon series. And we looked at 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, and we see Paul says, desire earnestly the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. And many of us have been like wondering, what does that mean to prophesy? And the New Testament defines it as basically hearing from God in sharing with other people words that are encouraging, comforting, and strengthening. It's those three things. And so what does it mean to be a prophetic church? It means our church has an environment where when people come into it or experience us on the outside of our walls, which is more important, they experience and encounter God's presence. So I have this prayer and desire that we would become more prophetic this year. Now, if you haven't been with us for the past three weeks, um, you will... Um, have missed out but we've been doing this series we're calling "Engaged," and we're talking about re-engaging with the kingdom of God and being more intentional in our spiritual walk and what I want to do is we're continuing John chapter 4 and so I want to read from John chapter 4 we've been camping out here a little bit We're going to camp out for the rest of this month too. But I want to read a passage of scripture today and then think a little bit about what it means to be prophetic like Jesus, okay? So this is what we read in John chapter 4, starting in verse 13. We read, Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water, then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim, where our ancestors worshipped? Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews." But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship Him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Let's pray. Father, as we spend a few moments here thinking about the implications of this text and what it means to be prophetic as both individuals and as a church community, would your spirit breathe on us, encourage us, give us hope, heal us, draw us closer to you, bring conviction, and challenge us, Lord, in all of the areas that we need, and we pray this in your name, amen. So let's catch up on John 4. So we just read this text, but leading up to this, what happens is Jesus, in John chapter 3, just met with a Pharisee named Nicodemus, and they have a conversation about what it means to be of the kingdom of God, and Jesus says, you must be born, born again, And Nicodemus is like, I have no idea what that means. And so they have this conversation. And then in chapter 4, Jesus is traveling back to Galilee with his disciples. And they know that the quickest way to get to where they're going is to cut through this Samaritan village, Saqqar. And so they do that. And his disciples take off. And they're going into the city uh, to get some supplies, more than likely. And then Jesus walks up to this well and very intentionally and very strategically sits on top of this well. And he's just sitting there waiting because he knows that somebody's gonna eventually come to this well and need to get water. And so what happens is this woman walks up to the well and then Jesus says, hey, could you give me a drink? She's blown away because normally Jewish men don't talk to Samaritan women, and men don't talk to women, and there's all these cultural taboos at work there, but Jesus does, and then he starts to have this conversation about living water, and as we just read, she finds out that the water that Jesus is offering is more lasting, better, greater than the water that she is trying to draw from, and that's kind of where we are right now. And so we're going to just kind of dive into this, this idea that she has when she talks to Jesus about being a prophet. She says in this text, Sir, you must be a prophet. So, I mean, when you're reading the Gospels, you'll notice that Jesus carries this, like, vibe about him, right? Like, when he's going places. Have any of you ever read the Gospels and just notice that everywhere Jesus goes, it's like he encounters people and things change. Conversations happen. People do not leave encounters with Jesus the same way they started. Amen? Like they get healed. They get restored. Jesus will heal people and then restore them to community. He invites people. He's always inviting people into his kingdom, regardless of their background, their social standing, their ethnicity, their religious or cultural heritages. doesn't care. He's constantly welcoming them to himself and so we have to ask ourselves like what exactly is going on right here with this idea of being prophetic like i am fascinated by prophetic jesus because there's no way to pull the wool over his eyes right and constantly you see that and that's what's happening here right he's like hey go get your husband and then she's like well i don't have one and then he's like you're right In fact, and then he, it's very interesting because she's not lying, right? She doesn't have a husband, but she's also being deceptive in that she's not owning up to the current state of her affairs, her her life. And so Jesus has this way of of prompting this conversation, asking questions that begin to raise, raise the dialogue a bit. And he does it also while affirming her as we talked about last week, it's really beautiful. But here's what I want to do. I want us to think about, when we look at Jesus, we think about being prophetic like Jesus. What does that mean for us as a church? I, I really want us to think about that for a few minutes. I want us to think about what does what does it take for us to be prophetic and exactly what do I mean by being prophetic? Because I think that word <clears throat> gets used all the time. All the time. I mean, you know, like if I was with somebody recently and, and they were talking about, about this song that they really enjoyed. They're like, oh, I love that song. And like like two minutes later it came on the radio and they're like, oh, I'm prophetic. And I was like, no, that's pathetic. That's like, that was totally random. I mean, have you noticed this? It's like, you know, that word, just words get used all the time without meaning behind them. And, and the word prophetic though carries with it this huge amount of underlying theology and history from the Old Testament to the New Testament. So let's think a little bit about what it means to be prophetic. And here's what I think, first of all, is I think being prophetic in, in the same way that Jesus was means that we learn to communicate to the world that's gone crazy, angry, and anxious. Those are just three words. We could add a lot of other ones. But like we have to think about the fact that, did you notice how when Jesus is interacting with a Samaritan woman, he doesn't disengage, he actually begins to engage in conversation. So think about all the circles of society that you're involved in. If you're in school, if you have a job, in your family circles, all these different relationship environments you're in, part of what it means to be prophetic is to be in those and to engage with people and to try to point them to Jesus. That's right. You guys are such great Sunday school participants. Being prophetic means we learn to communicate to the world that's gone crazy, angry, or anxious. And again, pointing you back, last week we talked about how when Jesus is interacting with this Samaritan woman, he's demonstrating for us that he was willing to break social taboos by talking to a woman, first of all. Secondarily, a Samaritan woman who was the political enemy of all Jewish people who's willing to, to supersede those things in order to invite her into the kingdom of God. So being prophetic means that we learn to communicate to the world that is desperately in need of hope, and we work hard to effectively communicate the things that we believe and hold true about Jesus. The second thing is that being prophetic, I think, means we function somewhat as a moral compass, or a moral conscious. I've been having conversations with a lot of people about this lately because I know in this room, I know many of us are feeling concerned or wondering about what is going on and trying to figure out what it is the church can do to make a difference in the world that we live in right now. And it feels like things are getting worse and people are getting crazier, which they are, I think. but. I think the church used to, used to actually have a real clear understanding of, of, of their identity and their ability to be prophetic and to, and to point people in the world, to point the world to Jesus and to, to truth. And so we have these teachings in the scriptures about how we're called to be salt and light, light and salt, right? Jesus says that. Paul talks about that in Colossians chapter 4, about being a salt and, and what that means is that we as a community are able to preserve society as we prophetically function to point people to truth because the world needs truth. And so right now, I think we have to really think, that, think about that quite a bit. Um, I mean, like just for a moment here, how do we make decisions about what is right and wrong? Just think about that. And as you're thinking about how you make decisions about what is right or wrong, think about how people who don't know Jesus make decisions about what is right and wrong. So for 2,000 years, this is what Christians have said. The way that we figure out what is is right, what is true, is first and foremost by the authority of Scripture. Are you with me? Like that is the way that we discern how to live our lives. In fact, the Apostle Paul says all scripture is breathed by God and is useful for teaching, for training in righteousness. It helps us understand how we should live our lives. So here's the question. And I know we all hopefully, I mean, I ask this question all the time. Like, what should I do? Do any of y'all ask that question? It's like, what should I do in this situation? They cut me off when I was driving to Reading, right? Or, you know, like what type of television shows should we watch? you folks who watch The Bachelor. Just kidding. No, I'm not Like, on a real level, we, we have to think about the way we live our lives and how scripture should, should shape the way that we wrestle with the way that we think, believe, feel, and function. Are you with me? Like, this is how we answer that question. So when someone says, should I do this, The church has historically and prophetically pointed people to Jesus, and the way that we know about Jesus and the teachings of Jesus is by the scriptures which reveal to us who Jesus is. Paul also says to Timothy that it's within the scriptures that we are taught about the ways of salvation. The scriptures contain the ways of salvation. And so right now, I mean, I'm telling you right now, I talk to people all the time. And just the other day, this is the, the funniest um, conversation because I, I have all these relationships with people that don't fight Nelma pastor. Like they know I go to church. Um, and I was fishing with this this young guy. He's like 22 years old, 21 years old. And he's like just talking to me about how you know, he's out partying and living it up and doing all the crazy things that a lot of us did when we were younger. And, and I'm just sitting there listening to him. And he's, he's just telling me how empty it is. He's like, man, I just got a new girlfriend every single night, and it's crazy. I'm drinking all the time, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, how's that working out for you? And he looks at me, and he's like, actually, it's pretty terrible. I was like, hmm. Yeah, it's just really unfulfilling. And he's like, young. I was like, you're pretty smart for a 21-year-old, you know? And he's like, yeah, it's just, you know, I just don't know. I just don't feel happy at all. Hmm. Well. How about that? And then, you know, always the question of like, well, what do you think? Well, let me tell you what I think. I think that there's actually a way of life that provides, it provides substance, it provides satisfaction, it provides purpose, and it's the only thing that will ever fill the emptiness that we all have as human beings. Let me tell you about Jesus. I'm just, I mean, like, this is the, this is our calling. Some of y'all need to wake up. <laughs> like, we have a prophetic purpose as followers of Jesus is to point people, to, and I'm not talking about being judgmental. I hope you don't go out with your bullhorns and start telling everybody they're all going to hell. It's not helpful, right? I told you, uh, like, five years ago, I was on, I was on Main Street, I was walking on Main Street, and this guy walked up to me, he's like, do you know Jesus? And I was like, actually, I do. And he's like, Really? And I was like, yeah, I have a follower of Jesus. He's like, you don't look like one. And then he told me I was going to hell, and I was like, it's like, oh, my gosh. It's like, what do they look like, you know? <laughs> and, I, and I actually, I was like, "Why?" Well, I, I pastor a church. He's like, it's probably one of the worldly churches. I was like, oh, my gosh. Are we? <laughs> so that's not helpful. But I think what is helpful is to help point people to Jesus. And what is helpful is to point people to the same Jesus who is working on us and helping us become more like Jesus. We do that in a humble way where we say, listen, I'm struggling too, but let me, let me, let me, let me introduce you to the person who is helping put my life back together, who's helping me to face these, these challenges and these frustrations and this angst that I have. And so I think that's kind of what being prophetic Leads into, and so I don't mean like morality in the sense of like checklist morality, like you make sure you don't do these things. What I'm talking about is that there is truth, folks. Truth exists. Truth is something we can actually look to and we can know, and his name is Jesus and he's revealed to us in scripture. So we need to, we need to be prophetic like that. And I wanna add also too, in the world that we live in, where we have more and more people who are disconnected and who are not, um, you know, not really aware of, of, of you know, what we would consider biblical truth or whatever, it's not good enough just to tell them what the Bible says. I think we have to be willing to, to take time to show people what the Bible says as well as why it says what it says and how to do this thing um, as human beings by the power of the Spirit. Like I always found it unhelpful just to have chapters and verses quoted to me. What I found really helpful though was to have people teach scripture to me but then also walk alongside me and help me understand how to do it, amen? The third thing is I think being prophetic requires that we participate in public dialogue, engaging with the world. Public dialogue, engaging with the world. Somewhere along the line it became not cool to talk about faith and religion and not proper. But I think a lot of that is because people didn't know how to do it very well. But we all know that the landscape today that we live in is very hostile and people don't do a very good job of being able to converse. Are you with me? Can we all be honest and say we're not very good at that? We're not, right? But Jesus teaches us and models us this way of being able to do it, I think, that is very effective. I'm gonna end with this really quickly and then we're gonna pray. You know, um, this is what I see in Jesus' example. Luke chapter 7, verse 34, read these words. It says, the son of man, this is Jesus speaking, he says, the son of man, on the other hand, he feasts and he drinks, and you say he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and other sinners. So when we look at this passage, we see that Jesus spent a lot of time with worldly people. Are you with me? Like he was out and about. He was out and about with the world, so much so that people were like, oh man, he's, he's always drunk. He's party animal. Party animal Jesus, okay? But here's the thing. He's a prophetic party animal. He's a prophetic party animal because here's his motivation here. He came to seek and save those who are lost. And so when Jesus is out engaging with the world, being a party animal, he's being a prophetic party animal because he's constantly pointing people to himself. He's constantly saying, all who are thirsty, come to me. Those of you who need living water, Come to me. And that is our our calling, our purpose, is to be people who are engaged in the world, but we're constantly pointing people with our voice, with our actions, to Jesus. Let's stand up together. So here's what I wanna do, really quickly. Um, Changing up our ending a little bit here. We were just singing this song a couple minutes ago about the Holy Spirit resting on us. And I had this sense that some of us in this room are like, what in the heck is that? What is up with the Holy Spirit resting on us? And um, here's what I want to tell you. Because I think that this morning, some of us in this room had a really discerned God's presence. Like you actually sensed him. Anybody feel that? A couple of you did? Like he was here, right? And then some of you haven't yet had that happen, but I, I had this sense that you would like to have God rest on you. And so here's what, here's what it comes down to. If you have the desire to be a prophetic voice, like you want to be like Jesus and help people to experience hope and grace and mercy and truth and salvation and redemption and reconciliation and all of those good things, you can't do it on your own. You have to do it by the power of the Spirit. So what we're going to do right now is we're going to pray for a moment. And we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to rest on us right now. And the purpose of Jesus' Spirit resting on us is not to give you goosebumps. The purpose of the Holy Spirit resting on you right now is to empower you so when you go out into the world around us, you carry grace, truth, mercy, all those things with you. Amen? So I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing a song and then you all can take off. So Father, we pray for your your Holy Spirit right now to come.